Hebrew names and English names. That was uh, a mode uh, because our parents, my parents, were afraid we wouldn't get along in America, so we had to have English names. By the time my children were born, that ended. Now we don't care. We, you know, I don't know why it happened exactly, but there are various ways of explaining it. But today, everybody has a Hebrew name, thank God. But Yitro, Rashi says, there's something I want you to know about Yitro. There's something I want you to know about Yitro is that he had seven names. And then Rashi goes on, I don't want to go through the Rashi goes on to explain every name, why he was called this, why he was called that. So in the beginning, the beginning, just let's go through the... Um, uh, again, Yeter al Shem Sheyiter Parasha Chat Torah. He's called Yeter because he added something to the Torah. This Parasha of 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 Aserta Debrot, and then Yitro Shinit Kayer VeKiyema Mitzvot. Yitro, he was a convert, and he kept all the mitzvot. In other words, Yitro had different personalities. He had different great achievements. Every great achievement that he made, he got a name. He became like, you know, you didn't even know who you were looking at when you looked at Yitro. You didn't know how to address him. You didn't know what to call him. He was such an overwhelming personality. That's what Rashi says. But right, I mean, that's the way I understand Rashi. He was such an overwhelming per personality that he... Uh, uh, he had all these different names. And you didn't even know who you were talking to when you talked to Yitro. So are you Yitro from the Torah? Are you Yitro the convert? Are you Yitro the person who, who was the great man of his times? And we know that there was a unique greatness to Yitro. And I always try to point this out. You remember the story. Yitro got up in the morning and he saw Moshe Rabbeinu sitting there and he had Kabbalat Kahal. You know what Kabbalat Kahal is? He had uh, hours, office hours. And the office hours for Moshe Rabbeinu were all day and all night. He sat there, and people came to him, to Moshe Rabbeinu. People came to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, well, what do I do now, and how do I do that? Was, you know, very much like today. Like when your children come and tell you what to do, this was like your children going and asking a question. So no, no, I'm not going to do it till Moshe Rabbeinu gives me an answer. I can't tell you what to do until Moshe Rabbeinu tells you what to do. So he was there all day and all night. Yitro, Yitro came from an organized world. He probably in Midian had a kind of Beit Avichai where everything was organized and clear and simple at hours, and it all worked. And so Yitro said, "You can't do this." Yitro said to Moshe Rabbeinu, you can't do this. You can't just sit there all day and all night and answer questions. I mean, what's going to be? You know, what's going to be? When are you going to learn? <laughs> when are you going to do anything for yourself? When are you going to go on vacation? What you have to do, Yitro said, what you have to do is get associate judges. Get other people who can answer easy questions Right? You get them to answer the easy questions, and you will answer the more difficult and special kinds of questions. Right? That's what, again, Yitro said to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu said, wow, what a terrific idea. What a terrific idea. So you mean like, 
It's a little hard for me to understand how the man who was designated to bring the Torah into the world, who taught Torah to B'nai Yisrael, who led them out of Mitzrayim, who organized the Makot, he couldn't figure out that if he worked 24 hours a day, he might get tired. He couldn't figure out that he should get some uh, assistance to work for him. You know how it is in a law firm. You know, just go to a law firm. As the offices get bigger, the actual work done gets less and less. If you want to see who works in the law firm, you have to go and look at the people in the little offices, or they don't even have offices. They may have a bench someplace, and they're looking things up. So that's Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't figure out on his own that he should appoint a system of assistants who are going to help him deal with the crowds that come. So I always imagined, I always imagined, I have to tell you, this is not exactly written in the Torah, but it's part of my imagining, which you can like or dislike, and even if you like it, you can ignore it, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Yitro came to Moshe Rabbeinu and said to Moshe Rabbeinu, you can't do this. You can't work 24 hours a day answering all these silly questions that people have. You know, you need assistance. What did Moshe Rabbeinu say? What did Moshe Rabbeinu say? He says, you know, Yitro, you don't get it. When they come to me and I give them an answer, it's like the answer comes directly from God. Now, they're not going to give up on that. They don't care that their questions are dumb questions or that they've answered these questions a hundred times or have I answered this question again and again or they just want me to tell them that the shidduch will be fine and everything will be, no, there'll be no problem. They're not going to give up on that, Yitro. So what did Yitro say? He says, they better give up on that because when Moshe Rabbeinu passes on leaves this world for a better world, then who's going to continue? If Moshe Rabbeinu produces people in whom we can have confidence, then the Torah will continue to be studied, to be learned, to be done as it is in our time. In our time, that's what, that's what we do. But if you, Moshe Rabbeinu, insist that you're the only one who could answer the question. You're the only one who could tell them what God intended. Then when you die, it all dies. That's the contribution. That's the contribution of Yitro. Yitro did not contribute the Torah. But Yitro was the one who made sure that the Torah would continue. How did he do that? By making sure, by making sure that Yitro, uh, by making sure that Moshe Rabbeinu would not stand alone as the teacher of Torah. And that when Moshe Rabbeinu appointed teachers of Torah, he had to say, these people are good people. They know the answers. You can go to them. And so when eventually Moshe Rabbeinu dies, there are people who take up the uh, uh, who take up the process, 
and who deal with the issue, Moshe Rabbeinu. And you know, when Moshe Rabbeinu died, something changed. The Gemara says that Yoshua, remember Yoshua? Yoshua is the student of Moshe Rabbeinu who became the leader and conquered the land of Canaan for the Jewish people, Yoshua. So Yoshua said, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu left us a big klesar with thousands of questions. Thousands. How many thousands is like not clear, but thousands of questions. He turned up, he looked at heaven, looked up at heaven, and he said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, hear the questions, tell me the answers. I'm now in the place of Moshe Rabbeinu. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to, according to the Gemara, I'm telling you a story that's in the Gemara, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Kodesh Baruch Hu said, I'm sorry, to Yoshua Binun. Kodesh Baruch Hu said to Yoshua Binun, those days are over, Yoshua. Now you figure it out on your own. So that that was like, like a jump in, in intellectual history, such as you can't even imagine. That from Moshe Rabbeinu, who could figure it out himself, who could figure it out himself and talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, get perfection in the answer to Yoshua ben Nun, who had to do it himself, and we continue that tradition, the tradition established by Yoshua ben Nun from Moshe Rabbeinu to this very day. So if I ask you again, if I ask you again, why is the parasha called Yitro and not called Moshe? Because while it's true, while it's true that Moshe Rabbeinu brought the Torah into the world, while it's true that Moshe Rabbeinu taught the Torah to B'nai Yisrael for 38 years in the desert as they went around and around and around, and they learned the Torah day after day after day with Moshe Rabbeinu leading them. All of that is true. And yet who assured that there would be a continuation to the Torah? that the Torah would be learned, studied, repeated, understood after Moshe Rabbeinu would die, after it was given over into the hands of Yehoshua bin Nun, who was no Moshe Rabbeinu for certain. That was Yitro. So Yitro is remembered, not as the person who brought us the Torah, but the person who ensured, ensured, like insurance, ensured that the Torah would be a continuing enterprise. And the Torah remains as it always has been what we say it is. It is what we say it is, what we understand it to be, the way we explain it to ourselves. That's what the Torah is, and that's all thanks to Yitro. We don't consider ourselves too crippled, too feeble, too uh, intellectually insecure to be able to understand what's written in the Torah. And had Moshe Rabbeinu not accepted this Musar from Yitro, we would all have been out of business, chas shalom. Okay, so that's what Yitro accomplished. And that's why he's called, the parasha is called Yitro. But do we know anything about Yitro? Do we know anything about him himself? Okay, he had different names, as we just pointed out. And the different names indicate that he had different personalities. But there is one pasuk 
there is one pasuk which is uh, very important for us. Right? And that pasuk, I mean, it's not on the sheet exactly, but it is, if you look at the paragraph beginning Likuti Marantinyana, the next paragraph after the Rashi, part of the pasuk in Parakyud in Parakyud Chet, Pasuk 9, it's Pasuk 9, it says, you see the beginning of the words, Vayichad Yitro al Yitro comes to the camp, Moshe Rabbeinu starts telling him not only about Amalek and not only about Kriyat Yavsu, but all the goodness that happened to Bnei Yisrael and that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was watching over them. Right? And the Pasuk then says, Vayichad Yitro al You know that there's sometimes a word it's terribly annoying. You know, we go to shul every week, and we, so we read the parasha of Yitro every year, and if you're old like I am, so you get it a lot of times, you've like read it a lot of times, and every time you read it, there's a word. And that word is annoying, because there's something about it that is elusive. You know, meaning is not obvious. It's not always clear what words mean. Right? So sometimes you read a pasuk, Sometimes you read a pasuk and, and, and the meaning, the true meaning is elusive. And that's this pasuk which says, Vaychad Yitro al Moshe Rabbeinu tells Yitro what happened, how happy they are, how confident they are, how much they feel good about being in the hands of a Kodesh Baruch Hu. And then Yitro's reaction is, Vaychad Yitro. That's his reaction. You see, it says that the pasuk right there, right there, you see it's in... Uh, the beginning of the second paragraph, all the good things that Moshe Rabbeinu just told him, so you know that this word, I just want to tell you what Rashi says, it's not on the sheet, so you'll have to pay attention. Rashi says, means he was happy. Right? Yitro was happy. He was happy about all these good things that happened. You know, people tell you, I had a good time, I had a good trip, I just came back from where I came back, me. And I had a good time, and I liked it, and the flight was good, and everything was good. Vayichad. So everybody says, hey, that's great. I'm happy for you. Is that what people say? So Rashi says, Vayichad Yitro, Vayismach Yitro. Moshe Rabbeinu comes to Yitro, and he says, I'm so happy. And Yitro says, I'm also happy. I'm happy for you, so that the word, if you know, if you remember Hebrew, Opan, remember that's what you learned in the in, in Opan, you learned Hebrew? There's a word in Hebrew, something that's nice, right? So it's like, it's comparable to that word. It's not exactly that word, but it's like that word. But that's what Rashi says. Then Rashi says, I know you're not satisfied with that. You're not so happy. Medrash Agada Chidudim Chidudim. Chidudim, like he became prickled, like your skin, you know, there were like prickles on his skin, like when you get nervous or unhappy. So here's Rashi. Rashi says, Oh, I know what that means. He was happy. And if you don't think he was happy, so he was unhappy. Right? Kind of, for that, we need Rashi. Would leave us in this kind of uh, state of being. Rashi says this word, written in a funny way, 
grammatically strange, has two meanings. One meaning is the more obvious, and the obvious meaning is happy, happy. Yitro said, oh, I'm so happy for you. Like people say, you know, I'm so happy. You, you, you know, you're getting this, you're doing that. I'm so happy. And then the other thing is that, that Yitro was like kind of excited about it. He said, what? All of that happened to you? I mean, is that terrible? It's like frightening. It's all frightening. The next words in that pasuk, if you look again at the sheet, so we now know Rashi doesn't know, doesn't want to help us much on what it means, and then it says, what was he reacting to? What is kol All the good things that Moshe Rabbeinu told, all the good things that Moshe Rabbeinu told Yitro, that had happened to him and Am Yisrael, and Yitro was happy and unhappy. What was he happy about? He was happy about good things. And what was he unhappy about? Rashi says, Meitzar al Ibud Mitzrayim. Rashi says that Yitro somehow couldn't get it out of himself. He was a little unhappy that all of those Egyptians died. After all, Yitro was a Midianite. He was not a Jew. You have to forget about that. I mean, it's true that he, he converted someplace along the line, but not on the day that he came. He couldn't have converted on that day. They need a little bit of equipment. So according to Rashi, according to Rashi, Rashi says that Yitro was happy about what there is to be happy about. But at the same time, he was unhappy about what there is to be unhappy about. It seems like a strange idea. Seems like a strange idea. And this idea, this idea is clarified by Rabbi Nachman of Braslav. So we'll learn together a little bit of the of the Torah of Rabbi Nachman, and then I will try to explain it or further explain it. You see it? Quoting, Amru Rabbeinu Zichronam Lebracha. Rabbeinu, our teachers, our masters, may they rest in peace, or may their their uh, memory be blessed. Shinasa Bisaro Chidudim Chidudim. So he quotes the Gemara as quoting the second interpretation in Rashi. Right, means that Yitro was unhappy. He was unhappy. What was he unhappy about? He was unhappy that all of the Egyptians had to die. That in the in, in the course of creating Am Yisrael, there had to be this mass destruction. There had to be this terrible event. It didn't say that the Egyptians didn't deserve to be punished. They deserved it. Nobody said that the Egyptians had any merit at that time in Kriyat Yamsuf. Nevertheless, Yitro felt that the destruction, there is such a tradition in the Medrash as well, that such destruction is wanton and unfortunate. So why does it say Al-Kol Hatova? Why does it say al kol hatova? 
if it means something bad. He says, Ki kol hasmachot rak He says, I want to define the word simcha. This is what this is what Rav Nachman says. You know, simcha very important for Hasidim. Hasidim like to be happy. Litaim, mitnagdim, they love to be unhappy. They go out of their way to be unhappy, and as much as Hasidim go out of their way to be happy, they are not. He's not to be confused by the effort that the mitnagdim put into being unhappy. So, for example, someone has a yard site, you know, there's a, a day, the day that one of your parents, Rahman al-Islam, died. So there are two different attitudes that the Hasidim and the mitnagdim reflect. Hasidim, on a yard site, they go to shul in the morning, and they bring cake and a little whiskey. But, you know, whiskey helps being happy. Cake doesn't do badly either. So the Hasidim, they have a yard site, and they said, let's all be happy. Why? He says, well, obviously, if my father or my mother, who are righteous people, they were welcomed to heaven, and they got the very appropriate place in Gan Eden. So, of course, I'm going to be happy about that. Mitnagdim, they go to shul in the morning, and they say, Oi vein. That's the opening, opening remark. They say, oh, it's so terrible. I mean, I'm disappointing my father, and I should have done this, and I should have been that, and he's paying the price in heaven for my inequity here on earth, and what should I do? I'll fast. And so Midnagdim, fast on your side. Now this story that I've just told you is absolutely true. There's not even a word of embellishment. So I will tell you something about Simcha. Simcha is not an easy thing. Because even though the Torah says explicitly that you should do all the mitzvot b'simcha, the Rambam teaches us that there's a very narrow line between simcha joy and holilut, unacceptable, wild, crazy practice. And learning that, the distinction between simcha and wild, unnecessary practice, is one of the difficult lessons in life. Interestingly, I think, interestingly, <coughs> on Simchat Torah, I mean, in, on Sukkot, which is the holiday of Simcha, right, there's more Simcha on Sukkot than any other holiday, even though all the holidays we are obliged to have Simcha, but on, about Sukkot, there is a special obligation because the Torah talks about Bisamachta Bechagecha in Sukkot, so on Sukkot, you know, they used to come to the Beit HaMikdash every night. They would have Simchat Beit HaShoeva, what you know, they do in Yerushalayim in a different way, but in the Beit HaMikdash they did it. Simchat Beit HaShoeva. Who sang and danced? Who were the people who sang and danced? The old people. 
בזקנים, בחכמים, ברבנים. Who stood and watched? The young, strong, energetic punks. How do we do that at a wedding today? The young guys are dancing, and if an old guy like me tries to get into the circle, they say, this is not for you, Rabbi. So I say, okay. So I'll tell you again. In the Beit HaMikdash, in the Beit HaMikdash, who danced? The Rabbanim, the Skenim, the elders, they danced. And the young people watched because there was a lesson that was being taught at that time. And that lesson is about Simcha Shel Mitzvah, about whatever Simcha really means. And apparently from that Mishnah and Sukkah, it seems to indicate, seems to indicate that Simcha is something that is learned, something that you have to understand, something that you have to achieve. It's not automatic. It doesn't come because of muscular tone. It doesn't come because you have a lot of stamina. It comes because inside of you, there is something so special that you could turn the event into simcha. And so here we have, here we have Rashi, who says simcha. And then the Gemara says, unhappy. Right, there's this tension in Yitro between the Hasidim and the Bitnagdim. He's happy and he's unhappy at the same time. Because there's a place in the world, and now let's, what, what does Rabbi Nachman said? Say, we're on the second line. Kekol hasmachot heimrak b'sha'atan. He says, there's something about simcha that I want you to know. Heimrak b'sha'atan. Which means, another way of saying that is, they pass. Simcha passes. It's very hard to maintain that level. I mean, you go to a wedding, and you have music, and you have photographers, and you have dancers and singers, and that, but it comes to an end, right? You get tired. Even the young people, even the young people get tired. So he says, they, they come and they go. There's just a time for them. You can't turn the world or life into simcha. He says, simcha shel brit. You go to a wedding, you're happy. But it ends. The wedding is over. You go home. If you're the parents of the chassan and the kalo, you even have to pay, which is probably not something that overjoys or produces joy. So here, he says, uh, again, or a Brit, he says, you go to a Brit Milah, to a circumcision, you're happy. Another Jew, another person building up the, the Jewish community. Asimcha urak b'sha'atan. So he says, for those things, for weddings or circumcisions, the time for simcha comes and then goes. Ve'em yistakel al hasof. Im yistakel al hasof, ein shum simcha ba'olam. He said, if you really don't think about the moment, but you think about the end, well, then there won't be any joy at all, any joy in the world, because everybody is going to die. Kisav kol adam. 
אבל אם יסתכל על הסוף של הסוף. So here we have it according to Rav Nachman of Ratzlaff. There's the sof, there's the end, and then there's the sof shel hasof, the end of the end. Or maybe we would say it, the end of the ends, or the end of all ends. And what happens then? Az yesh lo simch lismach ma'od, ki sof kol sof, hainu atachlitu tov ma'od. He says we live in a world of uncertainty. Most of us, I don't know about Rav Nachman, but most of us live in a world of uncertainty. We know that simcha is a discontinuous function. It comes and it goes. And as happy as we are to participate in the wedding, I'm talking about those weddings that we go to that we're happy about. Not the ones we go to and we say, I wish I didn't go, didn't have to go. I mean, a wedding you really want to go. I went to a wedding last week that I really wanted to go to. And I went. I was happy. I was happy, I think. I think I was happy I went to this wedding. I'm even happier that I came back, but it's okay. A wedding is a discontinuous function. A simcha is discontinuous because it comes and it goes. That's what, that's what simcha is. It comes and it goes. However, Rav Nachman says, if you just think about the end of what's going on, the end of the wedding, the end of what you're doing, it's going to come to an end. It's going to be over. There won't be any simcha. Right? Aval. I'm at the third line at the the second third, the third third of the line. But if a person could somehow connect himself, connect himself to the end of the end, then he should be very happy all the time. So what does Rav Nachman of Ratzlaff have to say about Rashi? Well, nothing, because he doesn't quote Rashi, but we know better. We know that Rav Nachman was, I mean, he was a genius in his way. When he was a young boy, he knew everything that we should know, but we probably don't know yet. So Rav Nachman of Ratzlaff said this, what was it that Yitro felt? What was it that Yitro felt? He felt joy. He felt joy. But what was it that he also felt? He felt that the joy would ebb. It would disappear. It would go away like all the joy. All the simcha comes and the simcha goes. But Rav Nachman says, but if Yitra was able to understand that simcha is the ultimate version of of human existence. That's, that's what happens at the end. That's where we're going. That's what we have to be. And that simcha could be, the simcha of the moment can be turned into ultimate kind of simcha. It can be. It can be turned around and made into ultimate simcha. So at the same time, the chidudim come. 
that nervousness, that lack of appreciation, that lack of simcha. It comes in to say, what's the lack of simcha? That I haven't gotten to that level. I'm not really having ultimate simcha, I'm having temporary simcha. So according to Rav Nachman, simcha is not just an element of doing a mitzvah, but it's the ultimate state to see how it feels. And then to try to carry over that feeling of simcha to the spaces in between the wedding and the circumcision. Also time, also time for simcha. Um, and so, the pasuk says, we go to the third paragraph, starting with the word, uh, word v'zehu. The third paragraph, he quotes the pasuk, and it says, v'yichad Yisrael, we just explained what v'yichad means according to Rav Nachman. And the pasuk contains, continues, it says, al kol ha-tovah. Al kol ha-tovah, which means all the goodness, all the good things. What good things? What's he talking about? So the obvious interpretation is the good things that Moshe Rabbeinu taught him or told him about, right? He told him all this, but Rav Nachman won't have it. Listen. Sheyitro haya sameach al kol hatova. Yitro was happy about all of the goodness. Perush, Rav Nachman says, this is what it really means. You know, Rav Nachman had this creative side to him. He was very interesting. He saw things differently than other people. It's worth like trying to look after him. Al kol hatova, Perush, afilu lehala min hatova. He was able to look beyond the goodness of the moment. Moshe Rabbeinu said, you know, God took care of us. He split the sea. He helped us fight against Amalek. And Yitro says, well, that's good. That's good, but it implies a greater good, greater goodness. And that's why it says, call all of, all of goodness. Not just the goodness that Moshe Rabbeinu told me about. Not just the goodness that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did for Bnei Yisrael, but all of the tova. Lemala, ulahala, ala tova, further, higher than, further than all the goodness that was up to this day. Even though Yitro saw this, he saw that this was not just a good thing that happened, but it was the watchword for the future. It would continue to be good. It would be better. So again, according to Rav Nachman, Yitro had this capacity. He says, what do we mean? You know, we meet somebody and they say, you say, Mazal Tov. Uh, my, uh, my granddaughter had a baby. Mazal Tov. I'm not interested in the words. We could say, uh, great. 
Great, it's a great simcha, great. What do you mean? You mean that you feel the joy of the moment, but you realize, and this is what we've said about Yitro, that there is no necessary joy about the future. I mean, good things happen to people, and unfortunately, bad things happen to people. And if something good happens to me today, that doesn't guarantee what's going to happen to me tomorrow. So we see again that this is Yitro's reaction. Yitro says to Moshe Rabbein, well, that's great. That's all great. Uh, it's wonderful that God is watching out for you. It's wonderful that what happened happened in the way it happened. But then Yitro said, but bad things also happen. For the Egyptians, it was bad. For other people, it will be bad. For Amalek, it was bad. I mean, there's like, there's this tension about understanding what good is, what goodness is, and that we've relegated goodness to be something that happened. We don't say, hey, great, great mazel tov to you or nothing. I don't say mazel tov to everybody I meet. I need an excuse, an excuse to say mazel tov, an excuse to say we're so happy to hear what happened to you? Do you say, I'm not that happy that you're still there. I'm happy that you're alive. I'm happy that you're walking around. We generally don't do that. We don't do that because we're not certain about something. There's something about us. that We have that Litvisha side to us. We're like a little depressed about it. Yitro said, Vaichad Yitro, he said, yes, it's not clear. It's not clear what Simcha is all about. But I understand this, Yitro said, that the goodness that HaKadosh Baruch Hu bestowed upon Am Yisrael is Kol HaTova. And you know the Kabbalists, when they came up with those little words in Hebrew, like Kol, all of the Tova, they explained it differently. They didn't say, it means all the things that you said that, that you, Moshe Rabbeinu, said that God helped you with. No, not that tova. Kol ha-tova. That the end of the end, that the point of the point of existence is kol ha-tova. Right? V'yichad Yitro. Yitro said, if I react only to the story that you're telling me, Moshe Rabbeinu, then it's about simcha. And simcha is a movable feast. We're not sure. It's real simcha, or it's less than real, or it's approximate, or it's going to be, or it's not going to be. But I tell you, Yitro said to Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm, I'm relating to Kol HaTova, all of the great things that are going to happen, all of the simcha that is an ongoing part of the relationship of Am Yisrael to HaKadosh Baruch If you look at the next... Uh, the next uh, section, the next section is a repeat. The uh, Rav Nachman figured we couldn't understand what he was saying exactly, so he said it again. So the first time is uh, Lamed Gimel, and the second time is Lamed Dalos. You look at the second, the second time. Ve'chad Yitro al Kol Atova ki Eitzel Stam B'nei Adam. Most people Stam B'nei Adam. Ein Asimcha Shel Kol Hatovot Be'yachad. You can't. 
really be happy about different joyous occasions at the same time. You ever try that? You know, rabbis do that. They go from this wedding to that wedding to the other wedding. Rav Nachman didn't like that. He says, is after all, simcha is not just some kind of neutral event. There's a simcha of a wedding and a simcha of a brit and a simcha of an engagement. They're all different. All these smachot are different. So you can't do them all together. You can't do them at the same time. So he says, Ki yesh chilukim rabim binyana simcha. And the mashal, ki sheba'in al chatuna. For example, he said, you come to a wedding, this is like said the most modern thing that Rav Nachman ever said. He says, you go to a wedding, and sometimes you see people are happy because they like the food. Right? He's eating meat and fish. He doesn't get it at home. Weekday night, you get a terrific, uh, a terrific meal. Somebody else likes the band. You know, you say, how was the wedding? Oh, it was a great band. A great band? Oh, it's a good idea. And some other people like other things. It was too hot, or it was heated in the winter, or it was air-conditioned in the summer. Great, great wedding. You know, great wedding. And then there are some people who are just happy about the wedding. Like the mechutanim, like the parents of the chatan and the parents of the kala, sheinan mashkichim You know the parents of the chatan and the kala; they never eat at a wedding, right? They're like so unhappy watching everybody else eating, and they're thinking about how much it's going to cost them at the end of the night. That they find it hard to eat anything, right? I wouldn't say that I had that experience, but I just wouldn't say it. He says, he says, that's what simcha is. He says, simcha, you try to analyze simcha, and you see it's different for different people. Different things make you happy. Different things caught your attention and said, oh, that was really good, that was really happy, that was really something. You know, there's some people who like to dance at weddings, and some people don't like to dance at weddings. The people who dance are happy, and the people who don't dance are also happy. Aval. But it's hard to find a person whose simcha is generated by all of the above, by the food, by the music, by the air conditioning. Right? It's hard to find a person whose simcha is generated by all aspects of the reality. There is such a person. But he can't really have joy from all of these different sources all at the same, same time. But first he's happy about the food. And then he's happy about the music. And then he's happy about the the chatan and the kala, right? Everything, but everything's separate. You can't be happy to put all, all of these things at, at the same time. There's some people who don't have any joy at all. Neither, neither from the food nor from the other things. 
Adrava Yeshlo Kina Vitsar, he's unhappy and he's annoying. Shemekane ala Shiduch, he doesn't like the 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 Khatan and the Kala. Val Shize Yishta Dehbaze, he doesn't like the fact that they're marrying each other for some reason. Aval Shalemutu Gadluta Simchahu Mishizochel Smoach Mikol Hatovot Piyachat. So Rav Nachman said two things, that horizontally, if you think about it horizontally, there are a lot of sources that could create simcha. And the job of a, every person, every Jew, who is trying to work on his simcha is to somehow integrate all these different causes for simcha together. That somehow you have to be happy for the chatan and the kala, for the food, for the music, for the ekadish, horizontal, the horizontal simcha. But then there's also the vertical simcha. The vertical simcha says, I'm not just happy for the moment. I mean, I'm very happy. I'm happy for the music. I'm happy for the chatan and kala. I'm happy for the food. I'm happy for all of those things simultaneously. I worked on myself. I understand what simcha is, but I'm also recognizing that the simcha that I have is somehow a function of the ultimate simcha that we will receive in history. The ultimate simcha, the ultimate simcha is olam haba, the next world, coming close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that what we do in this world, what we do in this world, even simcha, the simcha of this world is the simcha is the is a somehow a refraction of the ultimate simcha. Everything we do in this world is a kind of a model for our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what the Hasidim thought. That's what Rabbi Nachman of Bratzlav saw, thought. So if you think about it, as Rav Nachman thought about it, if you think about it, as Rav Nachman thought about it, that you see that Yitro, besides the conversation that we had at the beginning where Yitro was the one who organized the the passage of the Torah from one generation to the next. Yitro is the one who taught us about simcha. He taught us first that simcha is the ultimate religious act. That that's what religious is. It's the person who can generate simcha within himself, both horizontally and vertically. Horizontally, all the different kinds of simcha that you know about can be coalesced into one grand kind of simcha, and vertically that you recognize that the simcha, that the simcha that you have is a pale refraction of the simcha that you hope for in olam haba, and that the reason that simcha is so important in everything that we do is because it prepares us for the simcha